In part 5 of this series, we discover biblical principles on two more aspects of work life. One on workplace relationships and the other on planning and execution. All right, why don't we stand up to our feet and make our declaration this morning? Uh then we're going to spend some time in God's word and uh and get started. So, lift your Bible high up in the air if you don't mind and let's say this out loud bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. and a channel of his blessing to many people i receive his word i believe his word and i live by his word christ is my master and to him i am in absolute surrender in jesus name amen god bless you may be seated please all of you brought your books uh timeless principles if you don't have a copy just raise your hand or Ashish will come and give you a copy in case you've just joined us uh, in between. This razor copy is a free copy of this book, Timeless Principles for the Workplace. Uh please keep your hands up till they get one. We need some people right up in front uh so that you can get copies uh, out to those here. All right, I'm just going to uh reiterate two uh two statements we've been ma- that we've been making uh, as we're going through this series on timeless principles for the workplace. uh we've we've said this repeatedly that although the workplace context differs from bible times and our times uh in the bible in bible times the workplace had to do with farms and fields um we we need some right up here as well um yeah amos right up in front yeah uh the in bible times uh the workplace had to do with livestock it had to do with uh farms and fields and palaces and and all of that um in our times the workplace is slightly different uh we deal with corporate offices we deal with uh you know uh, large settings workplace and uh, it's like different the way we do work but the principles that god gave in his word to people in bible times are still relevant to us today the principles don't change because the truth never changes truth translates and truth transfers truth no matter which language you speak it it's still truth truth always translates and truth transfers no matter what time what place what culture what location truth is still truth it still applies so the truth of god's word all the was all the given in bible times still applies to us today and what we we've been exploring over the last several sundays as we've been talking about timeless principles in the workplace the second point that i want to emphasize is about principles presence and power the principles of god enable us to dwell in the presence of god and enable us to experience the power of god the principles presence and power we can't separate we cannot disconnect these we have to walk principles of god if we are going to experience the presence of god 
and the power of God in our lives. Are you with me so far? So we so study these principles. And as we learn to walk in these principles, we understand that living by these principles will enable us to dwell in the presence of God and experience the power of God. Today we're going to spend time in chapters 9 and 10. So if you have your books with you, uh, let's go to chapter 9, which is on page 118. Are we going to talk about principles that we could use relevant to workplace relationships? So in the workplace, we have to relate to people, all kinds of relationships. We have people about us that we report to, bosses. Uh, we have our peers, our colleagues, people that we work with. And we have people who report to us uh, that we oversee. Uh, uh, and uh, we have to manage and lead and guide. So we have all those kinds of relationships. We have to relate to all kinds of people. And uh, we understand that our relationships with people in the workplace is a very important aspect of our work life. Our professional growth, promotions can all be determined or, or will take into account this factor, how we relate to people uh, as we work with them. Uh, our, uh, the performance of teams, the performance of the organization also is affected uh, by the dynamics of workplace relationships. So this is very important. Uh, so we're going to run through several uh, principles that we can apply from Scripture related to our workplace or workplace relationships. Are you all with me so far? Yes? Okay, let's get started. Page 118. Maintain love, which is the basics of human relationships. You know, on Sunday morning, we, when we come to church, we can all be nice and lovey-dovey, you know, hello, brother, sister, you know, and all of that. And then Monday morning, when they're going to work, we put on our, you know, our armor, load our guns up, man, I'm going to the war zone today. You know, or we can just change our whole uh, our own mindset as though, you know, on Monday morning, I'm ready for battle. My boss is there. I'm going to fire him, you know, and all those things. And, and, and then we walk with that, uh, that warlike mindset when we go to work uh, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. And we forget that actually in work, we are relating to people. And people have feelings. People have emotions. Uh, people are going through life. They're going through all kinds of experiences in life. And just because they, are, they come to work, they don't become robots or machines. When they come to work, they come with their feelings. They come with whatever they're going through in life. They come with that. The people sitting around you and all the desks around you are people who have feelings or, or going through struggles or going through challenges. And although they've come to do work, still the emotions they carry, the struggles that they're carrying in some way affects their performance or what they do in their workplace. And so it's so important for us to know that when we relate to people, we have to still uh, we have to relate in love. And the Bible talks about this God kind of love. And it tells us that love is patient and kind. So, so be patient with people that you work with. Be kind to them. Love is not jealous or conceited. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. So don't be jealous if your colleague, you know, gets a great appraisal, gets a raise, gets a promotion. You know, it, love will not make you jealous of that person. Uh, love is not ill-mannered or selfish or irritable. 
It does not keep a record of wrongs that is done to it. You know, he took five days to respond to my email last time. I'll take seven, you know. <laughs> Love doesn't keep a record of, of, of wrongs done to it. That's not the way you work. Right? So we've got to walk in love in, as we relate to people, even in the workplace. And, 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 and that, that is so important, just, just the basic thing of walking in love. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, this is on the bottom of page 119, Jesus uh, said this, You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. That means in the workplace, you're not telling people to compete and fight, but you're telling people how to collaborate, how to be peace, how to work peacefully. You're a peacemaker. Next, page 120. When you have the opportunity to bless somebody, do it. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I'll give it when you have it with you. That was if you have the chance to bless somebody, to help somebody in some way. Do it, is what the Bible tells us. And this applies even to the workplace. Not only, you know, when you're helping somebody who's poor or somebody on the street. But even in your place of work, they could some, there would be somebody there who needs a little a helping hand. Uh, maybe they need a drop somewhere. Maybe they need a, a word of encouragement. Do it. Do good. Uh, bless somebody at work. Be sensitive. Page 120. Be sensitive to people's feelings. Your emotional intelligence matters. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7 verse 12. Here is a simple rule of thumb. Guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Meaning do to others what you want them to do for you. So when you are at work, what would you like people to do for you? Start doing it for them. Bless them. Do, do, it, do it for them. Now, you know, this whole thing about emotional intelligence, it's a big thing. Some of you are in HR. You know how important this is. Uh, that, you know, in addition to a person's skill, in addition to a person's competence, you also look at their emotional intelligence. How are they able to manage their own emotions and how are they able to relate to other people's emotions? How do they handle stress? What will they do in, 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 in really stressful situations, in situations that really disturb them emotionally, yet they have to maintain their calm and their composure and get things done? So this whole thing about emotional intelligence is important. But what is emotional intelligence? It's simply you understanding your own feelings and the feelings of others. And it's, it just, it's a simple statement Jesus made. Do for others what you would like them to do for you. Simple. So put yourself in the other person's shoes. How is that person feeling right now? Then you do for them what you would like somebody to do for you if you were in their shoes. And that's basically it. And that's what we need in the workplace. Cheer somebody up. Proverbs 12 and verse 25 says, Worry weighs us down. A cheerful word picks us up. Everybody likes to be encouraged. Everybody likes a cheerful word. So spread that around in your workplace. You know, uh, just maybe uh, when you're talking to somebody, just... Make it light. Just crack a joke or uh, make something, do something that makes them laugh. It's not, not necessarily always going to be serious all the time. Even coders can laugh. Amen. Uh, so whatever you're doing, it's okay. You can laugh and make it a pleasant thing to, uh, to be at work. Cheer somebody up. Speak a positive word. Ephesians 4.29 says at the bottom of page 121, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. The kind that build up and provide what is needed so that, you, that what you say will do good to those 
who hear you. Use helpful words, things that build people up. And in addition to that, page 122, don't forget these simple words like please, thank you, and sorry. Don't forget that, those simple things. And when you're communic communicating with people, be gracious. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, be gracious in your speech. Now, how can you be gracious? Just use these simple words, please, sorry, thank you. Somebody does something for you, say thank you. Don't forget it. Or don't say, man, you better do it, otherwise you'll be fired. <laughs> no, say thank you. Say please, rather than saying, you know, bring the file to my desk. You say, could you please bring the file to my desk? You know, use the word please. It's cheap, but it's, it's, it's easy to say, but it means a lot. It makes you gracious when you're talking to people. Use that. Now, even in our email communication, you know, in email, it's just text. And the emotion is left up to the recipient to add to the text. So emails can be misinterpreted so easily. Right? And sometimes, especially if we use those, you know, all caps. Caps means you're shouting, you know. <laughs> Come now. You put in caps means <laughs> it's with emphasis, you know. So we have to be careful even with emails because a lot is left to the recipient's interpretation. So that's why be gracious in your emails. People have names. So say, dear John or hi John, you know. Or end it with please, thank you, sorry, even in emails. And, and that makes that email that much more gracious and, and, and make sure that you're communicating graciously even through uh, your text. Uh, be an encourager even of those who don't like you. First Thessalonians 5 verse 15 says, See that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but at all times make it your aim to do good to one another and to all people. Don't repay wrong for wrong. So if somebody is very hostile to you in your workplace, they're trying to undercut you, they're trying to, you know, uh, make you look bad, they're always uh, dealing with a sense of animosity, don't retaliate that way. Instead, the Bible says, you know, at all times, do good to people. So be an encourager to them. Do something very positive. Encourage them. And that can turn the tables. It can turn that entire situation around as you're relating to them. So be positive. Be an encourager. Remember, even enemies can be turned around. Proverbs 16 verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So think about it. Now you, there may be people in your workplace who are really hostile, are being rude to you. They're trying to do things against you. What should you do? The Bible says you just walk pleasing to God. Just do what's pleasing in him, to him. And it says, when a man's ways please God, God turns around even their enemies to be at peace with them. Be careful who influences you in your, in your workplace. We've, we've got to relate to many kinds of people and you don't have a say on whom you work with because they've been hired by the organization. So you've got to work with people. You've got to work with people who might be mean, who might you know, be using the wrong kinds of words in their communication and all of that. You've got to work with them. So what do you do? Be careful in the influence they have on you. That's something you can control. That's something you can filter. So the Bible says in Proverbs 12 verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Understand that if you let the wicked influence you, they can lead you astray. So you guard yourself. It doesn't mean you disconnect, but you guard the influence, uh, the, uh, the amount of influence they have on your life. Proverbs 13 verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 
Proverbs 27 verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 1 Corinthians 15 33. Do not be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. So all of these scriptures are telling us that, you know, be careful with whom you, you let influence you. To the, the extent of influence they have on your life. That's something you can manage. Page 124. Know your boundaries in corporate socializing. Now, most organizations will have those social events. There'll be this, the company parties, the picnics, uh, other gatherings, which, which, are, which are good, which are important uh, for just building relationships. But in corporate socializing, know that you've got to maintain your boundaries when it comes to relating to people and it comes to doing things. So especially married men, be careful. Stay away from womanizing. You know, your wife is not around. God's eyes are still watching. Amen? Or when you drink, it's okay to drink your Coca-Cola if others are drinking something else. You know, I know it may look, make you look odd, make us look odd. It may, you know, uh, others may make fun of it. But you, you stand. Say, sorry, this is what I drink. For instance, Proverbs 5, 18 through 22 says, So be happy with your wife and find your joy with the woman you married. Pretty and graceful as a deer. Let her charms keep you happy. Let her surround you with her love. Son, why would you give your love to another woman? Why would you prefer the charms of another man's wife? The Lord sees everything you do. Wherever you go, he is watching. The sins of the wicked are a trap. They get caught in the net of their own sin. Stick within your boundaries. Stay within your boundaries in the workplace and uh, uh, those kinds of events. Another important thing in the workplace is to honor your boss. Proverbs 27 verse 18 says, If you care for your orchard, you will enjoy its fruit. If you honor your boss, you'll be honored. That means show respect. Now when you say honor your boss, when you're saying, we're not talking about buttering your boss. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. To honor means to show respect. It is uh, to be accountable. It is to support in what he is doing. It is to be answerable. It is to appreciate. It is to uh, be aligned to what your boss asks of you. It is not to gossip. It is not to malign uh, your boss. All of these things show honor to your boss. And the Bible says if you honor your boss, you will be honored. Now, especially true if you're working for a believer. You know, sometimes we think, man, my boss is a believer, so he's better give me extra grace. <laughs> Others I go tell the pastor, you know. And, and that is a wrong approach. For If your boss is a believer, give him double honor. The Bible tells us here in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 2, if you happen to have a believing boss, treat them with all due respect and do not take things casually just because they are believers. But you know, most of us believers, the moment we find out our boss is a Christian, we expect him to give us double grace. You know, I can take twice as much as, as, a, as a time off than the other person. Because he's a believer, he should, you know, be, no, that's the wrong approach. It's the wrong thing. If your boss is a believer, give him double honor, respect him, and all the more support him in what he is doing. Page 126, honor your boss, even the one who is harsh. You know, there are Bad bosses will last as long as the earth exists. <laughs> so there will be these bosses in, in your workplace who are harsh, who are very demanding, who may 
push you a lot. And you know, they're the ones who will stay till 9.30 to make sure you stay till 9.30. <laughs> and they'll just push people. They, they try to get every little juice out of you. And they, you know, your best work doesn't still match up. And so you can have those bosses. Bosses who are rude in the way they talk to you. Uh, they don't even treat you well. How do you react in those situations? What does the Bible say? Here's what it says in First Peter chapter 2. Verse 18 to 20, it says, servants or employees, be submissive to your masters, that is your bosses or your employers, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So if your boss is harsh and, and you endure and you say, God, I am, your word says I'm going to, I have to be submissive. I'm, going, I'm still going to honor him. I'm, going, I'm still going to work with him. Uh, and rather than retaliating, rather than you know, uh, pointing out all his faults, I'm going to be submissive. I'm going to work with him. And even though if I'm suffering under this, the Bible says you are be, being commended in God's God is watching that. And what will he do? He will step in for you. So long as you are, li- you are conducting yourself in an honorable way, under a harsh boss. Uh, for example, in Exodus, the third chapter, verses 7 through 9, when God's own people, the people of Israel, were, being, uh, uh, were in slavery to the Egyptians and were being mistreated there, here's what happens after a period of time. It says, And the Lord said, I have seen how cruelly My people are being treated in Egypt. I have heard them cry out to be rescued from their slave drivers. So God is saying, I've seen what they're going through. I'm seeing their struggles. I'm stepping in to intervene for them. I'm stepping in on their behalf. So God will step in for you. In Psalm 103 verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord judges in favor of the oppressed and gives them their rights. So God will step in. Amen? So even if your boss is hard, the Bible is saying, work with him. Do your best. Even if you have to endure for a period of time, do it. Because this is commendable in God's eyes. And God will step in on your behalf. Page 127, develop workplace etiquette and cultural sensitivity. Proverbs 23 verses 1 to 3 says, When you sit down to eat with someone important, keep in mind who he is. If you have a big appetite, restrain yourself. Don't be greedy for the fine food he serves. He may be trying to trick you. In other words, you know, be sensitive to the context with whom you're eating, what you're doing. Be sensitive, right? So uh, take this and apply this to different scenarios in the workplace. When you're relating to uh, your bosses, people, be sensitive. Know how to relate to people depending on the context, so simple things like, you know, sitting up straight or standing up when you're greeting somebody, keeping your phone off when you're in a meeting. Now, not in the middle of meetings. Mom calls, hey, did you have lunch? No, mom, I haven't had lunch yet. You know, I mean, <laughs> don't do those kinds of things. You know, keep your phone on silent or on the, uh, you know, turn it off when you're, when you're in a meeting. Uh, excuse yourself if you have to uh, take a call when you're in the middle. Simple things. Like this, make a lot of difference. They, they show that you, are, are, you, know, you have your professional manners in place. And also, uh, I mean, just, just, I just pointed out here about Joseph in Genesis 41 verse 14. But the Bible says, you know, Joseph was in prison at this time. 
Uh, he'd been there for almost two years. Uh, the king calls for him. You know, Joseph could have taken one of two approaches. He could have come to the king in his, you know, in his prison clothes, unshaven, smelling bad, thinking that maybe the king will have some pity on me and release me. But what did Joseph do? The Bible says when the king called for him, he shaved himself. He, he changed his clothes and came into the king's presence. Meaning he honored the king by doing what would be needed to, be, to stand in a, in, a, in a good mannered way before the king. I'm not saying it's because of that he got promoted. But that just shows us that he honored the person who was calling him. And so we need to be, be cultural, be sensitive uh, to, to the professional settings. And also be culturally sensitive. You know, many of us work for organizations where we will interact with people from different cultures. Things that are accepted in our culture may be just not accepted. Uh, or may not be the way think people do it in, in a different culture. Be sensitive to the culture of the people that you're relating to. Uh, respect their culture. Uh, when you're meeting with, with senior people, don't try to promote yourself. You know, and I know this, this thought is contrary uh, to the way uh, things are normally done. Everybody wants to promote themselves, make them look good. They want to push their way in front. But the Bible teaches us not to do that. Look for what the Bible says here in Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. This is on top of page 128. Here's what the scriptures say. Don't work yourself into the spotlight. Don't push your way into the place of prominence. It's better to be promoted to a place of honor than face humiliation by being demoted. So don't try to do that. This is what the Bible says. Why? Because the Bible says if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us. In due time. We are looking for honor and promotion that comes from God. He will lift us up. Does that, because that is our dependence. We don't have to depend on our own efforts to push ourselves. Now I'm, that does not mean. And I'm not trying to say that if you've done a good work. You, you know to whom you're reporting to. You let them know what you've done. You let them know the results. You let them know the, what you've accomplished. Because as a formal way of reporting uh, what you've done. But you're not doing this to just push yourself up into, into the spotlight. Uh, Jesus put it like this in Luke 14, 7 through 11. He said, you know, when you're called to a feast, don't go right up there and sit on the, on the seats of honor. Rather, you just sit down in, in one of those normal seats. It's better for the, the, the master of the ceremony to come and invite you up to a seat of honor rather than you going and sitting there and then telling the master of the ceremony coming, in, ceremony coming and telling you to go down back and say, hey, that seat is reserved for more important people. And then he sums that illustration up by saying, for those who make themselves great will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be made great. Are you with me so far? Because our dependence is on the Lord. You know, and then that's kind of the same thing we look even in look for in church. You know, whom do we give responsibility to when you talk about the church context? Same thing, same principle. We uh, uh, personally, I look for people who have a heart of a servant because. For people the heart of a servant, you can entrust them with leadership. I look for people who are accountable. For those who demonstrate accountability, you can place authority. Because authority without accountability is very dangerous. So those who demonstrate accountability are the ones who can have authority. So you look for these things, even, when you, even in the church context. You're looking for people who, who, who are not desirous of position, but who've got that sense of servanthood, who've got that sense of accountability, 
and with them you can entrust our position and authority page 128 when the heat is on behave wisely you know there will be those tense moments in the workplace there will be those moments or times when people around you are creating a lot of stress maybe your boss is trying to get rid of you he's he's, he's playing games around you can't figure out what he's doing now, all these things do happen in the workplace david found himself in that kind of a situation when you know david was playing the harp in king saul's court and everything was fine until david killed goliath when david saw success immediately saul became jealous of him and he said i got to get rid of this guy so saul was trying all kinds of things he tried to kill him with a javelin he tried to pu- push him in front of battle so maybe he'll get killed in battle he tried to ensnare him by uh, giving his daughter in marriage he tried all kinds of things but the bible repeatedly says in first kings uh, first samuel 18 that as saul was attempting all these things david behaved himself wisely that means he was very circumspect about the way he carried himself what he did how we related to people he's saying i know the king is playing games but i'm just going to behave wisely and as he behaved wisely david only became stronger and saul became weaker what's the lesson for us when when people around you or people in authority over you are trying to play games with you when the heat is on just behave wisely do what wisdom would do don't try to retaliate don't you don't try to you know throw the javelin back at your boss and you know don't try those things just behave wisely and it'll just make you stronger uh, in james chapter 3 verses 13 to 18 this on page 129 the first part of it i'll just read that out for us do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom here's what you do live well live wisely live humbly it's the way you live not the way you talk that counts mean spirited spirited ambition isn't wisdom it's the way you live not the way you talk that counts so uh, uh, don't have mean spirited ambition just walk with the wisdom it will lead you into success page 130 stay clear of meaningless arguments proverbs chapter 3 verse 30 and 31 says do not argue with others for no reason when they have never done you any harm don't be jealous of violent people or decide to act as they do so in any in, in a workplace setting you have a team meeting or some strategy meeting and things can get you know really intense and so talking about the product design now you're you're talking about how each other is designed you know <laughs> it gets very personal now you know and you've deviated from your main topic to something uh very personal and and it can get heated it can get into those the silly arguments but when those things happen that's when you say look i'm not going to throw stones back anyone can do that but i'm going to rise above this i'm going to maintain peace and i'll say you know what let's meet another time let's this 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 meeting is not going anywhere let's pause things here let's meet another time there's no point in getting into those meaningless arguments rise up above those things another interesting situation is when a coworker underperforms or violates rules handle it cautiously you know what would you do if a teammate a person on your team is underperforming he's not carrying his load load he's 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 just not responsible he's just not doing what he's supposed to be doing when he underperforms what would you do or worse still if he is violating the norms he's doing things that are unethical he is uh, you know he's uh, 
he's do, he's, he's participating in something that's illegal and you know about it. What should you do? Here's what the scripture tells us in Proverbs 13 verse 10. Don't blow the whistle on your fellow workers behind their backs. They'll accuse you of being underhanded and then you'll be the guilty one. So what do you do? Don't do something behind the back. If you know a, a, a team member is underperforming or a team member is doing something uh, unethical, he's violating the rules, the norms, what do you do? Address it directly with him and say, look, you know, here, here's the thing. You know, we need you to carry your load. We need you to get these things done. Or you know, these are things that you do not do. These, these are violating company norms. These, these are violating, violating our, our code of conduct in the, in the organization. These things are illegal. Address it directly with him and let him know that you are obligated organizationally to raise the flag. So you're not doing it behind his back. You're telling him, then if he doesn't change, then you go ahead and blow the whistle, you raise the flag. So that's a simple instruction from scripture. Page 131, feedback, pay attention, close attention to it. Now feedback, it can come in so many different ways. Uh, most organizations will have uh, annual or twice a year, their appraisals, the performance reviews, or better still feedback and come uh, on a regular basis just by day-to-day -day interactions uh, with your bosses, with your team leaders, with your managers, with others who are overseeing your work. Now, when feedback comes, we must pay attention to that. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 21. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. What others say about you is important. It matters. Proverbs 26, verse 16. A lazy person will think he's smarter than seven men who can give good reasons for their opinions. So a person is lazy. Seven people come and talk to him. They're trying to explain their reason. But because he's lazy, he, he doesn't want to listen to even seven people who are giving good reasons for what they're saying. A warning, Proverbs 25 verse 12, a warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is far more valuable than gold rings or jewelry made of the finest gold. Meaning when People with experience, people who know what they're talking about are speaking to you. What they're saying is worth so much more than money. Pay attention to it. No, so don't become defensive and people are giving you feedback. Sit down. Listen with an open mind. Listen. Maybe there is some value. Take it. Begin to work on it. Uh, of course, if it's, if it's coming from a, you know, from a wrong perspective, then you, you deal with it. But be attentive to the feedback that comes your way. Use it to your advantage. Are you with me so far? Because feedback is designed to help make you better. It's not designed to put you down. It's designed to make you better. It's designed to identify areas of improvement that you need and uh, that you can work on. So pay attention to it. You know, Because if, if you don't pay attention to feedback, sooner or later, your boss has to deal with you for not improving, for not changing. Your boss has to you know, take some corrective action. Always receive correction with a good attitude. Proverbs 12 verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 13 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Proverbs 29 verse 1. If you get more stubborn every time you are corrected, one day you will be crushed and never recover. So learn to receive correction. It's meant for your good. Receive it with a good attitude. Last two things here in talking about workplace relationships. 
be careful before you stand as a guarantor. You know, so in the workplace, you're going to develop some good buddies with you, good friends around you. And one day your buddy comes to you and says, hey, buddy, I'm taking a loan from the bank. Can you stand as a guarantor? And you got to be careful when you do that. He's still your buddy, but you got to be careful. You know, if it's a simple know your customer thing where you need to sign and say, yes, he's a human being, <laughs> that's okay. But if you signing on that paper has financial or legal obligations, better be very careful. Don't just sign your name. Ah, oh, he's my buddy. Because if he defaults, you're the next in line. <laughs> and you have to pay. Because you signed. At that time, you can't retract. So the Bible says in, in several places, and I'll just read one, of, one passage, Proverbs 6, 1 to 4. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you've shaken hands and pledge for a stranger, you are snared or trapped by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So here's what should you do. Do this, my son. Deliver yourself. For you have come into the hands of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. In other words, man, if you made this mistake, get out of it as soon as you can. Because if something goes wrong, you will have to pay. So the best thing is, be careful. Don't stand as a guarantor if you really don't mean it or you're not ready to pay for it. The last thing is this. Avoid astrologers, horoscopes, fortune tellers, palm readers, and other uh, occultic things. You know, nowadays it's quite fashionable. Uh, even among, you know, some big businessmen and all of that, uh, they get involved in, in uh, many of this, uh, in this in, in spiritualism. So they, they get people to read their, read their palms, they look at horoscopes uh, and different things that are, are spiritual in nature in order to make business decisions. And sometimes, now you can't prevent them from doing it, that's their choice, but sometimes they will involve you. They'll want to engage you into it. And that's where you say, that's not what I believe in. That's, I, I do not participate in those kinds of things. Why? Because my life is in God's hands. It's not in the hands of a parrot that picks a car. Amen? My life is designed by God. It's not determined or dictated by some astrologer or some palm reader or some horoscope somebody wrote in some newspaper and you read it. It's not determined by that. My life is determined by the word of God. But God who is at work. And so stay away from those things. I'll read one more passage in Deuteronomy 18. Verses 10 to 14. But God warns against this. He says, don't you dare sacrifice your son or daughter in the fire. Don't practice divination, sorcery, fortune telling, witchery, casting spells, holding seances or channeling with the dead. People who do these things are an abomination to God. Uh, it's because of such, just, just such abominable practices that God, your God, is driving these nations out before you. Be completely loyal to God, your God. So you do not participate in these things. Amen? All those are awake, say amen. You're still with me? Okay, we're going to do one more chapter. Chapter 10. We're going to talk about planning and execution. So we talked about workplace relationships, how do you relate to people, some uh, truths from the word of God. Now we get into another very important aspect of organizational life, which is planning and execution. You know, all that we've said till now, you know, have the right strategy, uh, have your plan, 
uh, get the right team in place, and, you know, all of that is very good. But having a strategy, having an idea, having uh, a great design for a product is still not going to ensure that your organization is successful. What's needed is you need to plan and execute things correctly. Execution is key. You've got to carry out your plans. You carry out your strategy. And so uh, we want to talk about that and also understand that execution just doesn't depend on one person. For example, whatever happens through all people's church, it just doesn't depend on me. I mean, I can only do so much. But really what's happening in church is happening because of our entire pastoral team. I don't know how many people we have on, about 15 people. Uh, our ministry team, our administrative office, and over about 200 volunteers who are serving in all our locations. Without all these people, we will not be able to execute what we're doing. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Right? So we've all got to work together if we're going to do the, all these things that we're doing. And uh, similarly in your organization, whatever you're doing, uh, people, we have to work together. You've got to plan and execute if you've got to see things happen. So let's talk about a few things about execution. The first thing is this, as you're planning, it's so important to get the counsel of the Lord. In Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, We humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. God's purpose prevails. So in all our brainstorming and all our planning, what we should do is we want to lock in to God's purpose. What does God want done? If we can determine that and go after it, we know we will prevail because God's purpose always prevails. Amen? So in your planning, get God's purpose. How do you do it? Just start with praying. Saying, God, in your mind, your heart, just pray and say, God, I really want to know the mind of the Lord. As we are planning, as we're discussing, uh, uh, God, I want to know your purpose because I know your purpose will prevail. So invite him as you pray. Secondly, as you're planning, get right people involved in the planning. Proverbs 28, 20 and verse 18 says, Form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out using all the help you can get. So as you're determining your plan, you need counsel and you need people involved. You need people to commit to it. So get the right people involved in your planning process. Get the people who've got the expertise on the subject, on the matter that you're discussing uh, sometimes it's important even to have people with an outside perspective because they can help see things from a, a totally new perspective. So it's good to have people from outside to help you see things that you otherwise may not be able to see. And also important to have people who are going to execute it involved in, in the process because they are the ones who are going to actually go out there and make it happen. And once you arrive at your plan, make sure you disseminate that information to everybody involved. Everybody needs to know what's happening. And what their role is. Are you with me? People don't read minds. At least most people. So just because you got your idea in your mind. Doesn't mean the person next door knows about it. You've got to share that information. And thank God for emails. You know, you can write it down nicely. Or put it and then uh, disseminate that information to your whole team. Everybody's involved. But that's important. People need to know. I mean those who are part of the execution. They need to know what they are supposed to do. So share that with them. Get everybody on board. As part of your planning, you also want to look ahead. You want to preempt the unexpected. 
Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A prudent man foresees evil. That means he looks ahead. He foresees what are the things that could go wrong. So if you're developing a software product and, and part of your product is dependent on a, a, a third-party vendor's product, what if that product is not released on time? Do you have a second option? Do you have a third option? Or what if that product doesn't really do what they say they're supposed to do? Or doesn't really meet your need? What are your options? So you preempt those things. You think about what could go wrong and what are your solutions that you have, options that you have as solutions. It, it doesn't mean you're being pessimistic. It doesn't mean you're being negative and you think like this, but you're trying to preempt things that could go wrong. Amen? Uh, you still with me? Right? So include that as part of your planning process. Now, when you move to execution, understand something here. Some seasons are more intense than others. Proverbs 10 and verse 5 says, He who gathers in summer is a wise son, he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Now think about this. You know, before the harvest, you have a lull period. You're waiting for the crops to grow. You're waiting for the, the grain to mature. So, you know, you could just do your, you know, water the fields, take your afternoon nap, say plants keep growing, grow fast. You know. You're waiting for the harvest. You can't do much. You just have to wait. And so it's a very relaxed period of time. But when harvest comes, it's intense activity. That time you can't go and take your afternoon nap. You've got to be harvesting the crop. You've got to be processing the crop. It's intense activity because you've just got a, a window of opportunity to reap the harvest and process the grain. If you miss that, you've lost everything. So a person who sleeps in harvest will only experience shame. That means during your execution, things will not be life is normal. Now, those of you who work in, in the technology area, you know how intense it can get. And I've been there many, many times when we are, you know, maybe two months prior to delivery or uh, before we go through a product certification. It's very intense. You know, your normal eight hours now becomes 12 hours. Sometimes you work even on Saturdays. And, 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 and it's very intense, you know, before you used to take one hour for your tea break. Now it's like, keep going. <laughs> you eat your lunch at your desk. It's, it's pretty intense. Why? It's that season of execution. You're, you, you've got to get things done. It's, it's, it's only a season, but it's very intense. And we, you, you, we need to adapt to that season when you're going through execution. Uh, page 138, execution can be messy and disruptive. Especially if you're on the team that's carrying things out. Understand, things can get messy, uh, disruptive during that period of execution. Proverbs 14 verse 4. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So if, the, if you're not, there's no work being done in the field, you've got no oxen, then the cattle stall is really neat and clean, smells nice, fresh. But when there's a lot of work happening... You've got oxen plowing the field. They come back to the cattle shed. Man, you've got to feed them. They mess up the thing. But the fields are being worked. Work is getting done. Amen? So while work is being done, things can get a little messy. They can be disruptive. Uh, uh, just as an example, uh, you know, last year from August through January of this year, 
our church office was a mess because we were involved in the power to change campaign and uh, you know we everything was disrupted we had several plans on the internet uh, on what we were doing on the media side on the internet side we had several other plans uh, for missions work and all of that was just we just put a pause on everything and just went full throttle in the power to change campaign in the office there was packed with books everybody was packing books making phone calls doing house visits it was total disruption of a normal thing the church office but we had to do it because we were executing a part of the execution for the power to change campaign and you know uh, slowly in february we had to clean up everything you know uh, and get back to normal and when we started now pursuing the goals we had set uh for the for the latter half of last year we're now beginning to implement those things but in that season of execution things were really disruptive things were really messy but we understood it because it was a for a purpose if we were executing something everybody was focused on it they left a lot of other things aside just to get this done another important part of execution is to stay focused avoid distractions when you are executing something focus is critical proverbs 12 verse 11 says The one who stays on the job has food on the table. The witless chase whims and fancies. You know, if you are about you want to achieve something, you're in execution mode, it's so important to stay focused on that. Don't run after every opportunity that comes. There'll be lots of other opportunities, other good ideas, but you are committed to executing a goal or a thing and you're pursuing that. You got to stay focused. You got to say no to many other opportunities because you want to execute something very specific. You're going after that. For example, when I'm writing books, when I was writing this book for instance, there were about there was a 3 week period when I was just writing. Sometimes 8 hours a day just writing. wouldn't bother with the emails don't pick up phone calls so if you didn't if you know why i didn't answer your call <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i was just writing i had to stay focused i wanted to get this book done but it took it, of course the preparation was a lot of preparation took place but there was a three week period where i was writing from morning to night just writing 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 but it took that kind of effort to put this book in your hands otherwise it'll take me three years to get it done if i do a little bit every day it'll never it happen but it takes that much of effort you got to stay focused and and this is an example but in sometimes you know there'll be all kinds of other opportunities you know go here do that it's it no i'm saying no to this why i'm staying focused on what i need to get done and 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 i need to pursue it so it's so important to learn how to focus uh to get something done uh another part of execution is this don't just talk act but act on what is really important Proverbs 14 verse 23 says in all labor there is profit but idle chatter leads only to poverty you can talk a lot but it it really amounts to nothing but if you labor then you will see profit so as part of execution you know you've got your plans you've got your ideas you've got all of that you've got your team you're ready to execute but you've got to act and again act on what's really important because if you've got 10 things that need to be done there will be two or three things that are going to push the whole thing ahead by 80% there'll be lots of other little little things that only give you marginal increase your focus your your goal must be first i want to do those two or three things that are going to get me across by 80% then i can worry about the other things 
the icing on the cake is nice, but without the cake, the icing is meaningless. So first, bake the cake. So you got to do that. Act on what's really important. And you need to understand what's important. What's going to give me that 80% uh, 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 progress that I need to get done. And then, then, then I can work on those, all the other smaller things. Engage your, engage your team. Together, everyone achieves more. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better off than one because they can work more effectively. You know, when you're, when you're executing, you need the whole team involved because there is the value of the team. Uh, if one falls down, there are people to help them. Uh, uh, if uh, if uh, uh, two sleep together, it says you can keep warm. You keep yourself encouraged. Uh, you can overcome obstacles. You can resist attacks. Uh, and it, this togetherness brings strength. So work as a team. Engage your whole team. So part of engaging the team means you need to keep everybody motivated. You need to find out if everybody knows what they, what they ought to be doing. Are they working on the things assigned to them? Otherwise, you know, you assign tasks and they'll go off for tea. And you're busy working. You think, man, it's getting done. They are enjoying, you know, sipping their cup of tea, not doing the work. So you got to keep the, engage the team, meaning check up on them. Are they doing it? Uh, uh, keep them motivated. Uh, are there roadblocks? Are there bottlenecks? Uh, what's happening? You got to keep the team moving on, uh, 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 in, in execution. Uh, sharing information vertically and horizontally is so important. So everybody knows what's going on. The more information they have in connection to what needs to be done, the more empowered they feel and the more quickly they can make decisions. But if you hold back the information, they're going to be in, in a state of waiting. They want to know what to do next. So bringing information into the whole team quickly is important. Another important part of the execution is accountability. Especially in times of crisis, accountability is so important. Uh, it, it helps the team... G- Keep going through tough times. Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, If you are weak in a crisis, you're weak indeed. When you face crisis, you feel weak, you need the team together to, uh, to energize you, to push you forward. Accountability can happen through you know, team meetings, through, through reporting processes, but you're keeping everybody informed. You sit down together and say, here's what's happening. Here's the success. Here are the challenges. Here's where we're not making progress. That, that regular accountability happens in a team setting. And it's very important for execution. Accountability is important in order to monitor and in order to motivate. You need to monitor what's happening. And you need to motivate what's hap- uh, people to make sure they're able to overcome obstacles and so on. Last two points here. Some lessons learned. This is on page 140. Some lessons learned are more valuable than the profit gained. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 and 13 to 17, let's read the first part. It says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. You know, when you're executing, uh, once you've executed your pro, your, your, whatever you're doing, your project, and you see success, that's the time to pause, reflect, and learn lessons. The success you've achieved will soon be forgotten. The lessons you learn will remain with you for their lifetime. So it's so important after every execution cycle, whether you've experienced success or failure, you pause and you learn your lessons. Reflect. What can I learn? Internalize it. Memorize it. Put it make it a part of you so that you can use it for the next thing that you're going to execute. Learn lessons. 
from every execution cycle that you go through. Those lessons, the wisdom you gain, the understanding you gain by reflecting and learning and internalizing those, those, those things are more valuable than the success you've achieved. Are you with me? Because wisdom is better than riches. Even if you experience failure, the lessons you've learned are still valuable for all the future things that you're going to do. You learn lessons. And, and, and make sure you do that. Above all else, let God be in charge. Proverbs 16 verse 3. Put God in charge of your work, then what you've planned will take place. Psalm 37 verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will bring it to pass. So in any execution process, you, you commit your ways to the Lord. You put, say, God, I'm going to do my best, but I'm trusting you to give me the success, to, to, to help me achieve what I'm setting out to do. You commit your way to the Lord. Amen? Did you all learn something? Let's take this applied in our places of work, in whatever you're doing, whether it's in your workplace relationships relating to people, or whether it's in your planning and execution, getting things done. And remember, we're doing all of this to glorify the Lord, to glorify His name in our places of work. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray, please. Call our worship team up and just take a few minutes here. Uh, I want you to take a moment, please, to pray. Uh, I'd like to have a worship team just come up. Yeah. I want you to take a few moments to pray and and. and and just pray about either one of these two things. Maybe something that we learned today about the workplace, rela workplace relationships meant something to you. Or maybe you're in a situation like that. Would you just take a moment to pray about that? Or maybe something we talked about planning and execution meant something to you. Would you just pray about it and say, God, help me to take this thing that I learned today and, and apply it to my place of work. Help me to do that. Will you take some time just to pray? Maybe there are situations in your place of work, in your school, in your college, as you're relating to your friends, your classmates, where there is relationships are not going right, there is there are problems there. Pray about it right now. Or maybe you are heading up some project responsible for execution and you just want to pray about that. Go ahead. Just pray about it. Say, God, I'm undertaking this assignment. I'm stepping out. I'm committing this work to you. That you will bless. That you will guide me and you will help me accomplish those goals. Could we just take some time to pray? Just invite you, God. We invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
upon our lives. Upon our places of work. Upon things we do in school or college or in the workplace. We invite the work of your spirit. We ask that Jesus Christ would be manifested. Jesus Christ would be glorified and honored of God. Anybody here who has not received Jesus Christ into your life? Oh, maybe you're visiting church. Maybe you've been to church several times, but you never made a decision to welcome Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive you your sins and, and uh, make you a new person. The Bible says if anybody comes into Jesus, he becomes a new person. Not just turn a new leaf, but becomes a new person. Has a new beginning. The 
Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, was buried, and he rose up again. And whoever believes in him receives forgiveness for their sins. I want to take a moment just to lead you in a prayer. If you've never done that, but this morning you feel the need to do it, that you want to be a new person, that you want to have your sins forgiven, that you want to come, uh, become a child of God, if you feel that in your heart, you want to do it, then just follow me in this prayer. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive my sins, O oh God. Make me a new person. Make me a child of God. And help me to follow you the rest of my life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, your presence. Thank you for what you've done. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us. Today and always. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I'll be available if you need prayer. Uh, just, uh, I'll be here. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and a great week. We are currently doing a series on timeless principles for the workplace. And we have a brand new publication with the same name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.